Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Fixin' Talk Sports. I am your host, Ryan Brown. Today, I got two guests for you to talk some NBA basketball. That's going to be Jonathan Sullivan and Anthony Squid Gabriela. Boys, how we doing? Wonderful. Doing well. Glad to hear, guys. Uh, it's been a minute since we've talked some NBA basketball and specifically our Boston Celtics. So I feel like a little recap is in order. Uh, so currently the Celtics sit at 34 and 26 going into the all-star break this weekend. They are nine and one in their last 10. And that's going to be good for sixth in the Eastern conference. They're only four and a half games back of the top seed, which just <laughs> seems like a miracle given the early season struggles and where they were sitting in the standings for quite some time, which was in that play-in game, uh, seven to 10 range in the conference standings there. They also have racked up quite the uh, game differential. A plus 5.4 differential is fourth in the NBA and the best in the Eastern conference. And we'll get into why that differential has become so high of late uh, here in short order. They're 18 and 10 since we last spoke with a nine game winning streak recently, getting them well above 500. Unfortunately that ended last night at home on the second night of a back-to-back against the Detroit Pistons who just seem to have this knack for stumbling, uh, teams that are actually above 500. So with that in mind, let's, let's get our initial thoughts on where the Boston Celtics sit right now. So squid floor is yours. Where, where are you at with the yeah, Boston man, Celtics it's, this season? It's crazy. Last time we talked, we were going into a stretch of like six bad teams in a row. And we said they need to go five and one on that stretch. If we, if they're going to do anything yep. in that stretch, they went two and four. <laughs> that was that was cool so we pretty i think we all pretty much gave up in the season we're like you know what trade needs to happen either smart needs to go they need to figure out a way to just re- reboot this roster and somewhere in there something clicked uh something clicked after about two years straight a 500 ball Celtics fans were getting sick of it and then all of a sudden we won nine games in a row and i think that's what made this winning streak so much better is because we haven't seen the team consistently win in such a long time that it just became like a breath of fresh air for us to see this um I think Emay's wrote the ship a little bit. You can just on the sidelines, he rings those players out. He really goes at them. And it's super cool because, you know, Brad didn't do that. Brad was like, you know, Zen laid back Brad, which great in the front office. But as far as for a coaching staff, you need a, you need a guy to be like, that's stupid isolated shot. You can't do that. So you love, you love to see that. Now, on the other hand, I personally think the true MVP of this whole run has been uh, Robert Williams. This man, just when he's on the floor, the, the point differentials are crazy. The guy, it's a whole different game. We have a rim protector. We have a guy that can pass the ball, rebound the ball, be a be a threat when one of the Jays or Smart is driving. It's an easy lob to him. I mean, man, it's been incredible. So you love to see that. You love to see the shift they've made. Then obviously you love to see, which I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to talk about in a bit, the additions of Celtics made at the deadline to get better. And, uh, you know, Eme shortening up the rotation helped a lot. But we're seeing some promising things here. Obviously Detroit brought us all back down to earth a little bit, which is great because if – we had won that game and won 10 in a row. We might be talking about how the Celtics are going to the finals, and that is not necessarily <laughs> talked about. So I think it's good what, what we just saw. And, yeah, 
I'm feeling good. And I think what you recapped is obviously positive from where we're at before. So things are looking upwards, cautiously upwards. Jonathan, where do you sit? Where, where's your head at with the Celtics currently? Well, I'm, I feel like if you had asked um, me yesterday, I, I would have said that I was ready, as I said, uh, pre-show, that I was ready to start the duck boats. But now I would say that I'm like, a, I have a glass half full type of attitude towards the Celtics. Like, I think they're, they're trending up, but I need to see more. They have a, a difficult stretch coming out of the all-star break. I don't know if you have their schedule uh, pulled I do. up somewhere, but I know they're playing Brooklyn. It'll be interesting to see if I, I hope Durant isn't ready to come back after that for that game. Um, but I'm not sure if he, if it's possible he'll be playing or not, you might have more information than I would on that. But, um, and they need to keep it going because yeah, nine and one should have been 10 straight is good. But like Squid said, I mean they've been they've been five hundred for two years. So who's to say that they go nine and one and now they'll go what you know three and six and and basically <laughs> get back to like five hundred. Um, so you know they need to put it together for another month. Get get everything together down the home stretch. You still got about two months or so until the NBA playoffs start, and um, hopefully they can lock up you know lock up one of those top four seeds and and have a a home at least one round home in the playoffs and they should win that. Um, and the, so like, that's what I would say. It's like a glass half full. Like if you would ask me like a couple of weeks ago, I would have said like this team's going in the play-in again, they're going to get bounced in the first round. Now I would say their floor is the way they're playing right now is second round, but they gotta, they gotta keep it going and get one of those top four seats. Yeah. We'll, we'll fight to the, the schedule a little bit towards the end of the pod, but to briefly make note of it, they do play Brooklyn right off the bat coming out of the break. I don't think Durant will be ready for it uh, during the uh, team selection portion of the all-star festivities where Durant and LeBron picked teams. Katie just wouldn't give any sort of timetable other than he's slowly but surely improving uh, each day. So it doesn't seem like it's an imminent return, but who, who knows, maybe give him another week and he'll be ready in Brownie. That one's in Brooklyn, right? Correct. So that yeah, means no Kyrie's Kyrie not either. playing. Yeah. So does that mean we get to see the Celtics beat down uh, MB by 50 and then we get to do it again to Simmons separately next week by 50? Simmons, I don't think, I don't think Simmons is playing. No. I, I, oh man. <laughs> Simmons said that he might be right. They were talking about Simmons not being ready to play the first time they play Philly, which is March. Mid-March. <laughs> Mid-March. <laughs> It's wild. How do you Simmons is like, I hope I'm ho- I hope I'm ready to play Philly like March t- and March 10th, which is, is he on the couch eating potato chips or something? What is he doing? I don't know. Wait, well that can't, that, that day is closer. February is short. Don't, don't sleep. <laughs> February is short. Oh, okay? okay. Maybe he'll be ready for next year. Yeah. That's still <laughs> three weeks away, three weeks till March 10th. Yeah, but I, I digress. On him, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's crazy that, uh, the Celtics are where they are at at this point. So I guess the the next question I want to ask you guys, and Jonathan, I'll start with you, is what was it? What were the Celtics missing that just resulted in the mediocre record, the the 25 and 25 record before the, the massive win streak? Well, I mean, I feel like this is like a, an easy answer, but I, to me, it's just health. I mean, they're mm-hmm. finally healthy. Of course, now they might not be healthy. Um, we'll see what happens with Time Lord and Smart. Time Lord's injury scares me a lot more than Smart's did. 
because at least I saw Smart's injury and I know, you know, what the timeline is for that. Time Lord's injury is just scream something that's just going to linger and linger and linger. Um, but they finally had a their rotations for multiple games. They're starting five. Their bench, whether it be um, Grant Williams, Lil Mike, who is literally the best shooter in the league. <laughs> And, um, you know, Richardson Schroeder now replaced with like Tice and white, um, you know, they got a short rotation obviously cause the end of their bench is horrific, but you know, you can play with eight in the NBA. If you're going to play hard every night and you're going to be able to win. Um, and that's just finally, because if one or two guys go down because the end of the bench is so terrible, you're playing like, I know we'll get to them, but you're playing like Neesmith Romeo Langford, like Pritchard, who's seemingly really taking a step back this year after a promising rookie campaign. Um, and those guys just aren't, aren't meant to be playing serious minutes and they get abused. And, uh, you know, that, that really hurts the team. But when you can get the eight guys you have in rotation, consistently healthy and consistently playing and playing multiple consecutive games. So you're really building chemistry. Um, you saw what the finished product was. Yeah. Uh, 100%. Uh, I'm with you on health and I'm going to scream that word as a key factor for the Celtics throughout the season as it is with just about any team, but it feels like just watching the Celtics team health is just always first and foremost, a concern uh, squid. What, what do you, would you think it was just a matter of health with this team? Or do you think it might've been something else that they were missing? Yeah. So I have two factors. First health is obviously a big deal because if you look at the Celtics, like, on off numbers and whatever with just overall advanced metrics with their full starting lineup healthy. And then obviously also all three reserves there have an excellent record. I think they're the best lineup in the entire NBA uh, as well. in the eight man rotation, I think they have the best eight man rotation in the NBA with all the guys healthy, whatever, obviously that rotation's changed a little bit now that Richardson's gone and Dennis is gone. But I mean, the numbers are fantastic immediately when one or two of those guys are removed, we become a mediocre team because all the pieces that we have are required to make that like a connected unit and make that defense is what it is because it's such an elite defense, which is their identity. So obviously, you know, having that all the players playing is a major factor in this team winning because with this team having eight players, I think they can go toe to toe with anyone. I really do. However, my big theory, I think it's partly that, but the other thing is, You've been hearing like coaches from other teams saying the ball movement now versus the ball movement at the start of the year is completely different. Now, there's a reason for that. Uh, last night, this is just kind of an example from real life here. Last night, I was playing some pickup basketball and I was uh, playing at some, some older guys, like it's an older guy pickup league. And I was with four other, you know, younger fellows that probably just got out of high school and super talented players. They can all, they can all shoot the ball really well. They're all super athletic. None of them knew how to play together. None of them knew how to pass. None of them had, knew how, there was no leader. And it pissed me off. I was sitting on the court just angry because everyone was just playing isolation ball. That is exactly what the Celtics were doing. The Celtics, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, um, Dennis Schroeder at times, um, they were just doing dumb things. And the other four guys who were on the floor were just standing there trying to get out of their ways or, you know, hide. And we all, anyone who's played basketball knows how that feels. It's super frustrating. Finally, and it happened when Brad was still coach because when Hayward was around, when, you know, some of the older guys that were on the team were around, they were much better at listening to the coach, so they kind of ran the show. But now that the Jays are running the show, we saw that issue with, you know, where players are on the floor, with the ball moving. It seems like Ime finally got through to them, and they finally started listening to their coach, which has been a huge factor in what has resulted. And I think this nine-game win streak is huge because 
these players seeing the winning result from how they play, they're definitely playing shows them, okay, if you do move the ball and stop isolating so much, you're going to win. And the players saw the fruits of that labor right there, which is amazing. And I think that's going to make a huge difference going forward. And, you know, that's why I think it's a combination of one, listening to the coach and following the schemes, but also two, definitely being healthy. I agree with both your points. I, I want to harp on the ball movement. It just felt like you and I, Squid, had had so many conversations off the record on the lack of ball movement and the over-reliance <laughs> on isolation between the Jays, especially in late-game situations. And it just dragging the offense down as a whole. And like you said, we're seeing so much better consistent ball movement on offense rather than relying on that ISO, ISO ball. And I also want to, like you mentioned, the team defensive identity, their consistent lockdown effort on defense hasn't really waned throughout the season. Uh, so that might not be answering the question in terms of what were they missing, but that would answer what has, hasn't changed and has kept them afloat even when the offense was going through its rampant struggles. So hey, Right, and that, and that defense also takes a huge hit when you go from having eight amazing defenders to having Peyton Pritchard and Bruno Fernando or Enos Freedom in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it loses its connectivity, and that's the identity, and those guys can't play defense. Yep. So I think offensively, they were just missing an identity. They thought that they could get away with just over relying on Jalen and Jason to get them buckets on their own whenever they needed to. And some nights that worked, some nights that didn't. And that's why you got inconsistent results in the win loss column. So I think it was more of an identity thing that they were missing, especially on the offensive end, more than a player personnel thing. And now that they seemingly have found themselves, for the most part, although we did see a little bit of that kind of ISO ball rear its head in the late in the Detroit game, but it is what it is. Hopefully that yeah, was more of an out. aberration. Yeah. Um, it, they look to be firing pretty much on all cylinders. So like we said, if they can stay healthy, they're going to be a factor because when during that stretch where they went 11 and two going into the all-star break, they, when they had all five starters playing, they were 10 and one. So yeah, this is, this is a team that definitely, definitely can compete. And, and like, tell me how many times you and I were on the same floor at UMass Lowell and just walked out of the (laughs) gym because we're so pissed off three teammates of ours couldn't pass the ball. Uh, (laughs) That's, that's a story for another day, my friend. Uh, Let's, let's move on to the aforementioned moves that the Celtics made. Brad Stevens was a busy man on the trade deadline day. He made three moves two of them i think were rather significant uh, the first was that he traded dennis schroeder ennis freedom and bruno fernando to houston to bring back celtics favorite daniel tice from the houston rockets and then i think the biggest deal that brad made was to trade romeo langford josh richardson in a protected 2022 first round pick that's top four protected to the San Antonio Spurs for Derek White. Uh, they also made us a, a side deal trading away the earlier acquired Bull Bull and PJ Dozier, who are both out for the season with injuries, as well as a second round pick to Orlando uh, for a future second rounder. So clearing up a lot of roster space, uh, maybe even a little bit of money to take on that Derek White contract, but Overall, Jonathan, 
Do you think Brad Stevens made the right moves at the deadline to address any sort of holes or issues you thought the team had before the deadline? I, uh, I was, I was happy with the moves, you know, it was a, it was almost like a breath of fresh air. I mean, how many, how many consecutive years did we hear Danny Ainge say, you know, we're trying to deals just didn't come together, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Finally, and involving picks for one. Finally, they, they make some moves. They trade for guys with term, which I like. And Derek White, he has like three years left. Tice, I think both, they both have three years left. They both have decent money on their terms too, which is good because the Celtics the last couple of years had ran into this conundrum where they had like these, like their top players were getting paid a lot. And then like basically everyone else was getting paid. Like they're on like their rookie deal. So they couldn't, it was tough for them to match money in certain deals. You need like these guys like Tice, they're making eight, $9 million to eventually potentially make a bigger deal because they're, they're making enough money on their contracts where you can match money and so forth and so forth. But Trading Tice for Schroeder, I don't mind. Schroeder was the one person that I think everyone assumed was pretty certain was probably going to get moved at the deadline simply because everyone knows why he signed with the Celtics in the first place. He was on a one-year prove-it deal. He's going to walk. They weren't going to pay him what he wants in the offseason, and so they had to move him for an asset. The Derek White move was a bit surprising because I think the general consensus was Richardson was potentially going to be a trade piece um but then you know they had kind of started writing the ship before the trade deadline and i think i saw a couple reports that were like the celtics aren't really interested in trading joss richardson but turns out you know trader brad was interested in trading uh joss richardson for for a guy that i think people are pretty high on i mean he looks he looks good the only thing i i'm concerned about his shot he the dude's been hucking up barracks from three uh he was he was good shooting three against the nuggets but since then he has been hucking up bricks i mean just like ghostly breaks um but you know he's an all-around player it seems like he plays hard and he, uh, he fits the mold and he fits the timeline as well i, I can see he's trying to build like this core because you got like smart tatum brown now you got white and tice all under contract for like multiple seasons so like i can see what brad is trying to build um so I, I would give their trade deadline B plus, A minus. I was happy with it. And trading Romeo Langford is nothing. He's garbage. And <laughs> if anyone was wondering, last night was the first night he was activated for the Spurs. I don't know if you knew his line, but it was a DMP coach's decision. So that tells you all you need to know about Romeo Langford. <laughs> yep. Uh, Squid, what are your thoughts on the moves that Trader Brad made at the deadline? Yeah, you know, I thought there was a few things to set out and starting with. Derek White trade. I don't think he was really on anyone's radar. Um, I knew Derek White was a good player back from, you know, when he start kind of started with the Spurs. He was awesome in the bubble, then made like the select team for the Olympics. So we knew who Derek White was, but like I really didn't he wasn't on my, my radar or any NBA, like, you know, kind of like insider's radar about oh him him coming to the Celtics. There was a quote that came out that Brad pretty much said, like, we've loved Derek White for a few years. We've been trying to get him for a long time. So I guess Papa's ready to deal him and the Jays love him clearly. They were excited when he got here. I think the big thing about it is like the start, the closing lineup we have now is smart. Uh, Derek White, Jason, Jalen, and Rob. That's a ridiculous defensive lineup because if you don't know, Derek White's like an awesome, awesome guard defender, and he's kind. He's, he's honestly extremely comparable to Marcus Smart. 
there's a little less bulky version of Marcus Smart, who I think is a little better, a little bit better of a passer. He averages like six assists a game, but down in San Antonio. So, I mean, that closing lineup right there is ridiculous defensively. It's super versatile. So when it comes down to things in the playoffs, when we have a series against the Bulls and we had to switch from Levine to Ball to to DeRozan to Vucevic, we're going to be able to do it. We're going to be up for that task. Same with the Nets, whoever it is, which is super cool. Uh, that's a great trade in my opinion. Obviously, you know, the contract things is big too because we haven't walked up for a little while. Uh, the other thing big they did is I believe they got under the luxury tax for that trade, which allows them to have a few things this offseason. First, they will be able to keep their uh, their taxpayer, their non-taxpayer mid-level exception, which is nine point, it changes every year, but I believe it's $9.8 million to sign a free agent with no with no cap involved in it. So they can go sign, you know, ex-free agent who's looking for a new team to fit in to maybe build a contender. So that's going to be a very good bench piece this offseason. Obviously, we all know we still need a shooter. We don't have enough shooters. We still need a shooter. Uh, so that could be a opportunity right there. The other thing is, obviously, they added Tice. He's going to be a good third big for a second big when Horford's gone eventually, um, which is perfect. So you got your second big there or your third big for this year. Um, that's a good trade because Dennis was gone. So it's getting an asset, like, a you know, at least a bench piece. So he's a he's a good eighth man in a playoff series. So what that shows is we have eight guys this year, but what's I think I think Brad gives a chance to win this year, at least to a level that's going to keep the Jays satisfied. And then this offseason, we will have the mid-level exception. We have Horford's contract at $26 million, if we opt into it. with his co- contract $26 million, which can be traded if we want to go get a really good bench piece because you can just match salaries. And then you also have – they ended up taking uh, – Fournier and I mean, he ended up taking Richardson into. I found out later on that it was ended up not being the Fournier traded player exception. So we have another seventeen million dollar trade exception there. So now we have three big opportunities to add three bench players this summer and go way over the cap of the luxury. But if the ownership in Boston thinks okay, we can add three players for a combined fifty million dollars, that's going to push us to be a title contender. I think they'll do it because it's going to allow us to, you know, add those players to a great core. So I think he's setting us up for success this year and next year and future years to keep the Jays in Boston, which is why I give this trade deadline a solid A. Mm. I, I, I want to be as optimistic as you guys. And I think to an extent I am. So my answer to the question and originally is I think so, but I think it still needs to be seen. Most of the guys that were traded were inconsistent in playing time and production uh, some guys were were getting production, but then they like Dennis Schroeder, his playing time waned as his role diminished. Other guys like Josh Richardson kind of had a role and they were starting to make more of an impact with more opportunities, but they weren't a long term sort of fit. Uh, so I don't have a problem with all the guys they traded out, especially like Jonathan said, a guy like Romeo Langford had had so many so much time and it just seemed like he was always injured and never able to really get going. Um, and never really able to develop much at all. So hopefully he'll be able to figure out somewhere else, but I think it was time to move on from him there. And to get a guy back in Daniel Tice, who's a really good death piece for the C's at center, whenever Rob Will goes down for injury or Al Horford, maybe he just needs a night off, whatever. A great death piece. He knows the, the, the team. He's familiar with a lot of the guys, even though there's been turnover a lot in years. Uh, but I, I really like that addition. And I love the Derek white trade. That's a young two way point guard who can play both ends. He's got experience before even coming to Boston playing 
with the likes of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart on Team USA. He had been coached before by Ime Odoka back in the Spurs when Odoka was an assistant there for a short period of time. Like, and like you said, him and Smart are going to form a dynamic defensive backcourt duo, especially in late games. So I, I, I think all in all, I do like the moves and I really like the Derek White move. Both, both him and Tice being signed through 2025 is huge. That provides a lot of flexibility for the, the, the team and organization to make future moves, as Jonathan alluded to, going forward. So I, I like that a lot. Uh, I would give it like a B plus, A minus, just because I, I don't know what you're going to get from Tice. Uh, and I, I feel like there will be a little bit of growing pains for White, at least shooting the ball. He is shooting a career worst from the three-point line this season, but he is averaging career highs in assists and steals. So I think that's like they were willing to take on another guy that's kind of having a little bit of a down year shooting the basketball in order to get a guy that's going to be a, an addition a plus in the facilitating department and on the defensive end. So he, he fits the mold of what the Celtics are trying to build here. So I, I think it's a B plus a minus until you see how these guys grow into their presumptive roles with the team. And if they're fully healthy, I really do like their eight to 10 man rotations uh, that they're going to have going down the line, as you guys alluded to uh, Jonathan real quick, before we re- start recapping, trade deadline moves across the rest of the league. I do want to get your thoughts on the winning streak. I know squid alluded to his uh, thoughts on it, what he thought the difference was during it. Uh, do you think it was just the, the starting five and the core eight being healthy, or do you think it was something else that kind of let the team get going during that winning streak? I mean, I, I do think in my opinion, health played the, uh, the biggest role, but the schedule also, I mean, we can't deny the schedule. They played yes. some crap teams. Um, you know, they had some nice wins, Philadelphia, um, Denver, although Denver was without Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. and Monty Morris. But um, I, I would say, yeah, no, health health to me, just like consistent health. I mean, the Celtics went like five or six, maybe seven or eight games. Up until the Philadelphia game, they had gone like – two or three weeks with just a clean injury report before every single game, not even a a guy probable or anything like that. Um, And I think it's the Celtics, what they really benefited though, I think was from after like Christmas or new year's, the NBA changed and they they stopped testing non-symptomatic players for COVID like they did before. Um, And I think that really helped the Celtics because one, I think the Celtics, like everyone on the team had COVID basically everyone in the NBA had COVID at the seemingly at the beginning of December into the middle of December. Um, but no team, I I'm sure you've seen it. People put it up on Twitter all the time. Like teams, total games missed because of COVID and the Celtics were the number one team in the league last year. And I think this year too. Um, but you know, they've finally been healthy for weeks at a time because it was like, one guy would get COVID, then one guy would get hurt, one guy would get COVID. And I, as I said before, their bench was weak. So you lose one or two guys for multiple games, and that's that's a huge loss for them. Um, and just the fact that they've been healthy for, you know, seemingly a month before these last couple of games is, was what I think really helped them. Yeah, I'm 100% there with you. The starting five being healthy was critical for it. 
they were see, they were all in the lineup healthy for a season high eleven games in a row. That that feels like it's like that's a a bad thing that it, eleven is the highest amount of games you could keep your starting five together in the lineup for in a row. Uh, but it did allow the team to definitely gain some rhythm and consistently consistency that had been severely lacking early on in the season. And like you mentioned, the opponents. I think they were fortunate in that some of their uh, big-time opponents were down some players. When they beat Miami, I uh, don't believe Jimmy Butler played. I, I think they were missing Bam Adebayo still. When they played Brooklyn, obviously, there was no Kyrie Irving There was because it was in Brooklyn. There was no – I don't think Durant played in that game either. And Ben Simmons was still uh, not on the team, and Harden was banged up as well. And when they played Denver, they were missing all the players you mentioned. In Philly – no James Harden. No, it was just Embiid. So like uh, some of these, some of these teams that they, I think the Philadelphia one is easily the most impressive because they had Embiid, uh, Tobias Harris. They still had a, a good chunk of their key players and to thro- just absolutely throttle them, be up 51 at one point and win that game by 48 is absolutely incredible. Um, but I, I do think it was a combination of their own health and their opponent's health. Uh, and you could definitely see that in the scores. They, they, wa- they outscored their, their opposition during that stretch uh, by over 20 points a game, which was absolutely absurd. And that's why their points per game differential has just absolutely skyrocketed over the past few weeks to the point where it's top five, top four in the league. Um, so if they can keep that up, in terms of being healthy and maybe getting fortunate in other teams' misfortune of health, uh, that will certainly keep things going in the direction it's heading. All right, let's let's start. Just give our quick thoughts on some of the trades that went down in the week up to the trade deadline. I'll start real quick with a sort of middling deal, but it, it might have some playoff implications. The Clippers traded Eric Bledsoe, Justin Wins- Justice Winslow, and Keon Johnson to the Trailblazers for Norman Powell and Robert Covington. Do either of you have any thoughts on, on this trade and the move that the Clippers seemingly made to kind of at least make a push to rise up the standings here? Yeah, just an absolutely horrid trade for the Clippers. I mean, for the, I mean, for the Blazers. I mean... I just I don't understand. Like I get you're trying to clear up cap space for this offseason for Dame to build around him better, but go about that by getting picks and clearing the cap space. Don't just get useless guys that aren't going to make any impact ever. <laughs> a horrible trade for the, a good trade for the Clippers. Horrible trade for the Blazers. Yeah, and then the <laughs> Norman, but for the Clippers, Norman Powell gets hurt right off the bat. Right. That's so. t- that's tough. But like looking at it from a GM's perspective, what the hell is the Blazers GM doing? Uh, I think it was a fire sale, and uh, you'll see why I said that in uh, just a few moments. Uh, Next up that I want to discuss, the Cavs acquiring Karis LeVert in a second rounder for Ricky Rubio, a protected first, and a pair of second rounders. Uh, Jonathan, what are your thoughts on the Karis LeVert deal, if any? Well, Cavs are are seemingly all in. I mean, at least for them. I mean... I don't know what I consider all in. I mean, I think they're the two or the three seed in the East, but I don't think anyone has any faith in them. I mean, would anyone really be surprised if they lost in the in the first round? 
No, I, I definitely wouldn't be surprised. They, they, they'll probably be actually the team, whoever they play, they'll probably not be favored. They'll probably be the least likely team to win in the first round. Yeah, they're the four seed right now, just behind Chicago, Miami, Milwaukee. So uh, I, I definitely think they, if they, if they, if right now they'd be slated to play Philly. I, I mean, yeah. Embiid would have a field day. I know Jared Allen just got named as an injury replacement to the All Star game. And he's having himself a very good year, averaging 16 and 11. But uh, I don't I don't know if I would call him an Embiid stopper by any stretch of the imagination. So I feel like Embiid would have a field day and Philly would would be able to handle the Cavs there. But maybe maybe the Cavs are legit and maybe they could give a team a run for their money in a playoff series. I, I feel like that's just has to be seen first before anyone puts any stock into that. Um uh, the next one that I want to discuss is another Trailblazers deal. This time, they send C.J. McCollum, Larry Nance Jr., and Tony Snell to the New Orleans Pelicans for Josh Hart, Thomas Sadoransky, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, as well as a future first and a pair of seconds. Uh, so, Squid, I'll ask you again, Like, is this another kind of uh, head-scratcher for, the, for Portland or... Yeah, it's a fire sale. You can go. You can go about dumping your whole roster. You can dump your whole roster and get and get absolutely no good players in turn. But you have to get picks or something. Like that's fine. I get. I, I the Portland GM came out and said, "Listen, we're trying to clear cap space for the summer so we can build around Dame correctly." Well, that's great. And honestly, you can do that. But you had you traded away like six super valuable players. You can get picks. You could have easily got a first for McCollum. You should have easily got a first for Powell. And honestly, uh, you said they traded away Rocco as well. Um, and Nance, you could have got first for them. You could have got first for all these guys, or at least young, intriguing players. Hearts okay, but like, man, it's if you want to build around game correctly, that was not the way to do it. Get more firepower, mm. get some ammunition as far, as far as picks go. It's just, I don't know. I think that GM, I think there's, they're a mess up there. Jonathan, do you have any, any thoughts on the Portland uh, fallout? They're tanking, they're trying to, they're trying to clear up a bunch of space and then sign someone this off season, I think, or next off season and pair them with like a top, whatever pick in the draft and then pray to God that that works. Oh, that's a good point. Because, you know, if you think about it, they could be trying to get a top pick and then get, get that top pick and either keep that top pick or trade that top pick for a disgruntled superstar. If it's a top five pick, maybe you can get like a, Disgruntled superstar, and then also sign a guy in free agency and have a big three around Dan. That's my only conclusion. I don't know. Yeah, that that certainly seems like what they are hoping for. Uh, but again, <laughs> it just things are, have gone downhill in Portland over the past two years. I mean, to think that they were in the Western Conference Finals only a couple years ago, and now they've just completely, basically, blown it up. Yeah, but the the funny thing is, Ryan, is that they can't even tank right. No. They've actually been winning a couple of games the last couple of nights because uh, Anthony Simons is uh, pretty good. He is good. <laughs> yep. All right, Jonathan, let me get your thoughts on this next trade. The Indiana Pacers sent DeMontis Sabonis, multi-time all-star with the Pacers, as well as Jeremy Lamb and Justin Holiday, plus a second rounder to the Sacramento Kings for Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson. 
I mean, everyone was stunned that the Kings traded Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, he's basically like, I don't know how you could ask for someone like in today's NBA that's like more of like a someone you would kind of like want going forward. The dude is long. He's a decent defender. He's a high assist guy. And he shoots lights out from three, shooting like 41% or something like that. Um, just head scratcher. I mean, the Kings are a joke. It just makes me mad that they were good for that one year when the Celtics had their pick. Um, of course. Just ridiculous. I mean, Sabonis is a good player. Don't get me wrong. Sabonis is a good player. But Indiana, everyone knew they had a log jam. They probably – it was either Turner or Sabonis, and they're going with Turner because he's going to be cheaper. But, I mean, Halliburton is – the type of guy that's projecting probably when his rookie deal is up is, is to probably sniff in the max. Yep. Mm. Uh, I think real quick, we'll mention the fact that the jazz decided to pick uh, trade for a couple of other players who had already been traded for mm-hmm. earlier this season in Nikhil Alexander Walker from Portland, as well as Juancho Hernan Gomez from the Spurs. Uh, do you think, Utah is making – do you think Nikhil Alexander-Walker makes a difference for Utah with where they're at right now, Squid? No. I, you, I, I think things are going to get frustrating real quick in Utah because they they can't play defense. The last like, 20 games, they've been, not been good at all. Um, Gobert and Donald Mitchell clearly hate each other still. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. They're kind of a mess. They're obviously trying to make it work around them, but – don't be surprised if you start hearing murmurs this offseason that Donovan Mitchell's unhappy and wants to be somewhere where he can win because Utah ain't it. And they, you know, it sucks. Ingles got hurt for them. But even when Ingles was healthy, they were not playing good when Gobert was out. Like, it's been kind of been a mess. Uh, they were obviously lights out at the start of the year, but I don't think they're anything super special. Uh, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is an okay young player, but I don't know. They, it, It's kind of a it's, – it's tough because you're in a spot in Utah where no one wants to sign with you in free agency, so it's impossible to build. Uh and, you know, yeah, and the other thing that's crazy to me, how how are the Kings going to trade Tyree Halliburton? That's ridiculous. I was so mad when I saw that. I'm like, if I was a Celtics, I would have gave up a lot, a lot of stuff for him. Mm-hmm. The Kings weren't done. They also decided to acquire Milwaukee Bucks guard Dante DiVincenzo in a four-way deal that saw Kings forward Marvin Bagley, former Duke boy, go to Detroit. Serge Ibaka go from the Clippers to Milwaukee. And Josh Jackson and Trey Lyles go from Detroit to Sacramento with Semi Ojale and Rodney Hood headed from Milwaukee to the Clippers. Uh, this one surprised me a little bit in the fact that Dante DiVincenzo was traded by the Bucks because I felt like he was a solid uh, r- rotation piece for the Bucks. Jonathan, did, did this one kind of pique your interest at all? Well, there there had actually been rumors um, last week that the Celtics were interested in Dante DiVincenzo potentially in a in a swap for. Uh, Schroeder, mm-hmm. um, who, as we mentioned previously, was most likely going to get traded as he did. But, um, yeah, I wasn't that surprised that they moved DiVincenzo. He's kind of been down this year. He was hurt. His shooting is down. But, you know, what he looked like last year and the year before was someone that, like, was projected as, like, a decent 
like role player on a really good team, potentially like a starter, like a low end starter. Um, so I was a little bit surprised to see him move, but Serge Ibaka, I'm sure if the Celtics play the Bucks in the playoffs, Serge Ibaka is going to shoot like 50% from three. Like <laughs> the dude just cooks against the Celtics from three, but yeah, a lot of trash in that deal. A lot of trash. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, th- I can tell you there won't be much trash in this next deal. That was the blockbuster of the deadline. And this one got people talking. The Brooklyn Nets traded James Harden and Paul Millsap to the Philadelphia 76ers for disgruntled superstar Ben Simmons, as well as Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and two first-round picks. Squid, I will start with you on this one. What are your thoughts on this mega deal? I mean... Absolutely hilarious from the Brooklyn <laughs> from the Brooklyn point of view. I absolutely love it to a point where I want to put a future on the Nets. Uh, I mean, I've always this is just my opinion. Obviously, to each their own. I've always thought Harden's a cancer, um, and you know, being able to add Simmons, who we'll see when it gets when it comes around, what he looks like. But if he's the Ben Simmons that played in Philly, Philly for five years, we know he's a great passer and we know he's a great defender. And you are putting five of probably the 12 best shooters in the league around them in Durant, Irving, Joe Harris, Seth Curry, and Patty Mills. That's five just absolutely knocked down three-point shooters around Ben Simmons. That is the perfect formula for success. Brooklyn was lacking defense. They got that. They are going to be a tough team to beat with all that shooting, versatility, and just the fact that they have KD and Ben Simmons on defense is kind of scary. Um, But also just the offense should be high powered as well. I hate the fact that they're going to have just three absolutely knockdown shooters next to Durant and Irving. It's going to be miserable to guard for any team. I don't care if you're the 96 Bulls or the 2022 Boston Celtics. Uh, on the other hand, you, I'm looking at the 76ers kind of gutting some players. I get it because Simmons wasn't playing. The fact that they can get, they can pretty much from what they had in the roster this year is pretty much just uh Harden for Seth Curry, which obviously if Seth Simmons is going to play, you do that deal all day long. Maury wanted that. Harden said he wanted to go to Philadelphia all along. That guy is so full of shit. So he forced his way out of Houston, which I get to go to Brooklyn. And you think, okay, this is his long-term home. If he doesn't, if he doesn't win here, he's not going to win anywhere. Less than a year later, he's traded to the Philadelphia 76ers. This seems like a bad dream or something. If you're not, how did this happen? How did we get here? What happened in New York? And then come to here that, Philadelphia could not even get the extension done by the deadline. So now Harden's going to be a free agent in the summer. And Harden's like, yeah, I'm going to resign here. That's a long six months that could happen in between now and then. You could see Harden in some other team by then. That's just absolutely bonkers to me that James Harden is a Philadelphia 76er. What the hell happened? <laughs> I wish I had the answers for that, but I I just don't. He's an, all, he's an all-time loser. How do you? How can you not make that situation work? that situation he's like i wanted to be with guys that can win i'm like you played with kevin durant he wants to win probably the absolute most and instead you're going to philadelphia who can't win anything yeah i i I don't know about this one jonathan give me your thoughts on this this blockbuster of a trade um i i agree for the most part with uh what squid said i i also am of the opinion i and i've been of this opinion for several years now at this point that James Harden is a perennial loser, someone that will never win a championship in his life as a number one or number two, just because he is just a fat slob, like simply put. (laughs) Um, 
but I do like what I mean. This could be the rare like win win trade because the Sixers, as as they as Squid said, like basically added James Harden for Seth Curry. Like that is a that's a massive upgrade. Like Seth Curry's a good player. Don't get me wrong. But James Harden, when he's healthy, is like a top 10. At this point, maybe closer to like a top 15, top 20 talent in the league when he's healthy. Um, and can, putting him with Embiid is going to be horrific to watch. Not only because they're going to be decent at basketball, but because they are going to shoot so many free throws, it is going to be painful to Worst watch. basketball ever. Like it's just going to be because Embiid by himself, as if you watch the Celtics uh, the other night, I mean, it it is brutal. He's just a massive human being and he just gets fouled like every single time because no one's big enough to stay with him. And Harden, as we know, is lives at the line himself. They're each going to be averaging like, I kid you not, probably like 15 free throws a game uh, in the playoffs. So they're going to be shooting 30 free throws, the two of them combined, which is going to be brutal. But the Sixers were the six seed, five seed, four seed, wherever they are. Um, without having Ben Simmons play a single second this year. And now they added James Hart. So like that, that raises their ceiling astronomically. And as Squid said, I think Brooklyn, the only team that can take down Brooklyn if they're healthy is Brooklyn because Kyrie is a weirdo. Ben Simmons is a weirdo. And Kevin Durant, obviously, as we know, reads everything, sees everything, is soft kind of a like, weirdo yeah he is also kind of a weirdo and so like i mean they, they have the talent where they could quite literally like match like basically the type of performances that the warriors had a couple of years ago the only difference is is that no one really knows because the system hasn't really been set up and the egos are so strange and they have a guy that I don't think he knows how to coach, actually. Yep. Uh, Philly right now is currently fifth in the East. So only three games back of first. So Can I talk one more point on that? Because yeah. they're like when I say I enjoy watching Philadelphia lose every year, I usually really, really enjoy it. You know, last year against the Hawks was awesome. Every year against us was awesome. But I'm gonna enjoy nothing more than seeing James Harden and Joel Embiid lose again, like in just hilarious fashion. It's going to be so, so enjoyable because, you know, I hate Harden. I kind of hate Embiid. I don't like the Sixers. Doc Rivers is a perennial choker. Like it is going to be so, so funny to see that team go down. And I cannot wait to see the fashion they do it in because they have the two biggest bozo. I don't respect the game basketball. All I want is free throws kind of guys. So when the game tightens up, they're not going to be able to get it done. And I am so excited to watch that collapse. It's going to be epic. I shouldn't be rooting on anyone's downfall, but I'm definitely rooting on their downfall. Man, I can only imagine what you would be like if the current standings held and they choked to Cleveland in the first or, round. Or, or we beat them. I would, you know how much I would love that if the Celtics knocked them out? Oh, well, that goes without saying. That or just imagine a Brooklyn, a Brooklyn 76 series, how amazing that would be. Ooh. The drama. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see here. A couple other quick ones of note. Uh, the Wizards traded Montrez Harrell to the Charlotte Hornets. Hornets beefing up for a potential playoff run if they can survive the play-in tournament. 
they didn't give up much. They gave up a couple of guys that were former second round picks in Vernon Carey Jr. and Ish Smith. Uh, the, there was, there was, yes, Duke legend, of course. Uh, there was one other trade that popped up out of nowhere that I do want to get your guys' thoughts on. The Dallas Mavericks traded Kristaps Porzingis and a second rounder to the Wizards for Spencer Didwitty, Davis Bertans. Uh, this, I think we're, we'll all be agreement in this one that it certainly came out of nowhere, but I think there are some, some reasons for why Dallas chose to move on from Porzingis. Uh, Jonathan, what, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, Porzingis is, I don't really know what's happened to this guy. When, when he was young in New York, it was like Porzingis, Porzingod is like this next like up and coming superstar in the league. And then they kind of moved him to Dallas in like a deal that people was like kind of surprised. I think I want to say they moved him in like December, like early in the season, like not even at the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just really weird. And now I think it's pretty obvious that him and Luca, there was something up there because Dallas is obviously all in on Luca. They have to build around Luca they're nervous. I they probably got rid of Rick Carlisle last last season because Luke and him didn't see eye to eye on certain things. And obviously they have to go all in on Luca because if they lose him, they're toast and he's a all generational type talent. Um, and so Luca gets what Luca wants, and Luca probably was a okay the uh Christoph Sporzingis turn. Hmm. Squid. Yeah, that's kind of crazy at the the way that's melted down. Um, I think there's a lot to salaries and stuff with that. Just Dallas trying to have more flexibility in the future because as Porzingis' contract was so large and obviously he wasn't living up to it at all, him and Luca did not get along. Burkans obviously has a huge deal and Dinwiddie's on a short-term deal. So you can actually clear up quite some flexibility there with uh, with these, with uh, Dinwiddie and then I feel like Burkans could probably be a tradable contract. So you're really clearing up $30 million. So down the road, you might be able to bring in a second star next to Luca, which is obviously something he wants, or just for them to re-sign Jalen Brunson, who they love. So, like, I think it's a good. I mean, it's a good trade because since that's happened, Luca's been absolutely cooking. I think he had fifty the other night, and he might score sixty tonight as we're recording this podcast. So, mm-hmm. absolutely crazy. Obviously, they didn't like each other. Um, Porzingis is a joke. It's kind of funny to look at it. The Knicks did something smart, but the Knicks still cannot figure out, which is also just as hilarious. <sighs> They, they've got plenty of other issues, speaking of the Knicks, between Tom Thibodeau just seemingly running his team into the ground, not playing Cam Reddish Who could have saw that coming? Yeah, well, everyone. But, like, at the same time, like, who who in their right mind trades for Cam Reddish and then doesn't play him? Right, he was playing good in Atlanta. Yeah, like, what? Uh, that's, that's, a, that's just a side conversation for another day i i could go off on that but the last bit of trade news that i do want to run by you guys get your thoughts on uh it was reported lit just after the trade deadline had passed at 3 p.m eastern a couple hours afterwards that the lakers and rockets had actually heavily considered swapping russell westbrook for john wall this would have been the second time that these two would have been traded for each other mind you uh, it fell through because the Lakers didn't want uh, to tr- add any additional draft pick compensation to the deal. Uh, so 
Squid, I'll start with you on this one. <laughs> How laughable would it have been if these two got traded for each other a second time? Dude, it would have been so funny. And I like I bet the Lakers wish they could have got that done because it would have helped their team this year. But it would have been so funny. Like, obviously, Wall's not playing in Houston. It would have been so funny to see Ross back there in Houston. Just like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, Ross's career would have just kind of been over. Obviously, he's a free agent after the year. And I think so is John Wall. So the Lakers can get out of that mess real quick. But it's so stupid of them. They look like idiots. Yeah, Jonathan. Just, I don't even know what to say. Russell Westbrook, that, <laughs> dude, is, that dude is cooked. John Wall, I believe, is also cooked. Um, but just Russell Not Westbrook. As Russ. Russell Westbrook is like a meme. That dude's a meme. The only the only big name like point guard that is more cooked than Rush, Russ is uh, Kemba Walker. That guy's that guy's toast. But both of them are just. Ross, ugh, just yuck, yuck, yeah. yuck, yuck. Yeah. The when crazy he... part is, like, you look at you look at it. Every single move, somehow, if you're a Celtics fan, every including this deal with the Lakers, everything has gone right for the Celtics that you like to see as a fan. You like to see the Lakers failing because of Russ. Awesome. Kemba Walker is absolutely sucks now. That shows that was part of the issue. Like Sixers and Nets are kind of in tor- terminal. Everything's going great for us. We just won ten games in a row. And it's just so nice to see the Knicks and the Lakers look like idiots. Yes. Uh, But back to Westbrook for a second. When you're home fans, when you are setting up, spotting up for a corner three, the defense is giving it to you and the fans are chanting in unison, no, that's when you know your career is toast. I'm sorry. That's when you know you have hit rock bottom as a former multi-time all-star and MVP player. That, Hall of Famer. He's going in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's that's when you know you need to just call it quits. I'm not saying he will or that he should because he's he's still a competent basketball player and still better than the vast majority of players, I would say, in the league. But man, he cannot shoot for shit. And when the fans know it and are chanting in unison, and it's not the road fans, it's the home fans, yeah, I think it's time to, to move on from the team and uh, find greener pastures somewhere else. All right. Moving on from the trade deadline, I've got a segment that needs no intro for Jonathan, at least. It's, uh, we got to talk about this man on the Boston Celtics. Former best shooter in the draft out of Vanderbilt. His name's Aaron Neesmith. Aaron Neesmith has had a rough year and a half with the Boston Celtics, to put it mildly. I I don't know what you would say expectations were for Aaron Neesmith, other than just being sort of like a 3 and D guy, just efficient shooter in his minutes, you know, play solid on the defensive end as well. Well, he went and shot 14% from three in the month of January. At one point, he was down to almost 20% from three on the season. It's back up to a hearty 24% going into the all-star break. Thanks to a couple of solid performances go down the stretch here, going into the break. So Jonathan, I will leave the floor to you. Is this man a lost cause? Or do you really think deep down in your heart of hearts, he is actually salvageable? Ryan, this man was a lost cause. December 
I want to say 14th, 2020, Boston Celtics at Philadelphia 76ers, their first preseason game. <laughs> I watched this man, Neesmith, who I might add, did not play in the first half of the preseason game when Pritchard started in the second quarter, come in and huck a brick and look completely lost. And I said to myself, and I probably said it in the chat, that this man, Aaron Neesmith, is terrible. He, you either simply have it or you don't when it comes to playing. And he does not have it. He is not salvageable. He cannot shoot. His shot doesn't look good. It, it looks like wonky. It doesn't look clean. He looks like he just like, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. He doesn't look like a good shooter. And then, of course, I, I dove into it last year. But his shot, he shot 33% his freshman year from Vanderbilt from three. I might add the college three is shorter than the NBA. He then shot 52% like, in 14 games in, in 2020 before his season got derailed off a foot injury um, in January, pre-COVID. And Vanderbilt's opponents during the beginning of that season were just, they were like, I mean, they were all-time bad. I mean, the, no offense to you guys, but they were playing like UMass Lowell's. Like, they were playing UMass Lowell's, like Division One like teams. Like, just... Almost like 20 last year. <laughs> 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 They're just playing, like, not power five anywhere close and this man was playing that and then he went and playing against nba players and he is just he is completely out of control he simply does not know how to play basketball like even when he has like a decent game albeit finally against philadelphia in a 48 point win i think it was that's like the yes. type of game where where he plays well it's like they like they have to be up by that much because even then last night, he was first guy off the bench, six man, and he did, he shot, okay, I might add, he got a defensive three seconds called on him. He had a couple turnovers, he traveled, he didn't know where he was on the court and stepped out of bounds, and he, he plays so erratically. Like, he just, he's completely out of control, and he is a complete and utter bust. And every time they play Sadiq Bay. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> Squid, let me hear your thoughts on this. He's hopeless. Uh, I mean, he has not worked good. Uh, he's got some chances and just has not worked good. I would like to see the Celtics just give him some extended minutes for a couple weeks despite winning or losing and just so we get an answer because if he can't figure it out in a bunch of minutes, then he's not good. Simple as that. Let him out there and he's either going to he's either gonna figure it out or he's going to not figure it out. And then you'll at least have an answer and you can at least move on from him and clear up another roster spot and go on to more projects, trade him, whatever it may be fine with me. You just need to figure it out. I mean, it's just frustrating because we use a lot of picks between Romeo and Nisma two years in a row, 14 overall, both of them sucked. I mean, I thought Langford had some flashes of problem promise. Romeo, I mean, Nismith simply has not in it, you know, um, I won't trust that he's, going to be a good player until i physically see him out there every night knocking down threes so who knows maybe he'll prove me wrong but i don't think he has it and it sucks but he just doesn't um pritchard i thought he had something but he doesn't seem to really know what's going on out there either so i don't know these last few ainge picks i mean grant williams is awesome but these last few ainge picks are rough and i'm ready for the Celtics to just go full mid-age players and just build around the day screw the young guys we don't need no more picks no more picks get rid of the picks just trade them all and let's move forward. Yeah, I mean it was it was so obvious, like Brad moving up uh their first round pick this year to the Spurs and then 
the pick swap in 2028, the dude basically did like what Danny Ainge like would have like rather he would have been like someone would have had to be holding him hostage to trade picks like that, like a swap in in six years when you don't know how good you're going to be. Like no way Danny Ainge did that. But Brad Stevens was like, I'm I'm done. I'm done. I saw I saw this man hoard these picks that people thought was going to have high value and turn them into Romeo Langford and Aaron Neesmith. And I'm just I'm done. I'm done with that. No need to do it at all. No. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I and it makes me wonder is is so so the Spurs pick is gone. I mean, the pick's gone this year to the Spurs, right? Yeah, that's going to be Perfect. like somewhere in the 20s, hopefully yep. late teens at, at at worst. Fired with me, that player would have been useless. Um and then that allows us to keep trading picks and getting real players. So if you can trade picks, keep getting role players around the Jays and then keep getting these guys in on exceptions and just keep building around this roster, that's the best way to do it because these picks are useless unless you're Grant Williams or Rob Williams. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually going to take the optimistic approach with Neesmith. Uh, I'm going to play devil's Clown. advocate here. Clown. It's devil's advocate. Shut, shut up. I'm going to say he's salvageable, but only because – it's just going to be a lengthy wait and see if the Celtics don't give up on him. He has shown a little bit of glimpses on the offensive end of late, but his stats, all of his percentages are down completely across the board this year. And that's reflected by his minutes being down as well. And so, yeah, I'm 100% with you guys. It doesn't seem very likely that he's going to find his shooting touch consistently anytime soon. So he's almost surely going to be a long-term developmental project for the rest, for the team, for the rest of his rookie contract. So I'm honestly on board with squid. Now that you're, you may have Rob Williams and Marcus smart out for a couple of weeks, just to be on the safe side, make sure they're fully 100% back by the time they step back on the floor, send me Smith. Send Neesmith. Yo, I'll, see I'll what gonna, he has. All I'm gonna say is, uh, I, it wasn't all his fault. But first man off the bench last night, Neesmith, lose to the worst team in the league. <laughs> Makes you think. <laughs> but <laughs> all right, you want you want Neesmith to get all these minutes. All right, you want to be the worst team in the league then? <laughs> okay. Granted, it wasn't back to back. We were missing two starters, but it still was Detroit. But yeah, yes. I get. It. I, I I completely get it, and I. You know, it, it makes you grateful, though, to see the players that are healthy be on the floor and not Aaron Eastmith, honestly. Because, I I mean, I look at this and I say this, for the first time in a long time, I see six players the Celtics have that are like, okay, this guy should be here for a long time and they should be really good. Tatum, Brown, Smart, Rob, uh, Derek White, and Grant Williams. That's six core pieces right there. Now you build around that with guys that aren't Aaron Eastmith and Romeo Langford and you have something. Yep, I agree. Uh, but to play devil's advocate, send Neesmith now, see what you have now, yep. or else. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> or else he's toast. Why are you even playing him? Cut him, get him out. Worst case scenario is you bench him in two weeks after we lose five games. Best case scenario is he turns into freaking Danny Green and he's a trade asset or an awesome player to have. <laughs> Man, if he turns into Danny Green, oh. Okay, now we're talking. Now we're talking, but that's not happening. Let's be honest, it's not happening. He's turned into he's he's gonna be in Europe in, in two <laughs> no. years. He's gonna Cross be an, a Euro League 
like six man. He should be coming off the bench for the main Celtics, honestly. <laughs> yeah, <I'm not>. <laughs> Oh, okay. Let's let's move on from the Aaron Neesmith satire. And let's just talk about All-Star Weekend. The the Celtics only have one All-Star, and that is Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown was not named as one of the injury replacements. There were three of them. Lamella Ball, DeJounte Murray, Jared Allen. So the question I'm going to ask you first, Squid, is do you think JB got snubbed from the All-Star game initially? And then do you think he got snubbed as not being named one of the injury replacements? Uh, I mean, I'm going to be – my unbiased opinion says no just because there was guys that were – I mean, his stats were good, but there was guys that were played more consistently than him this year. Uh, I just – he missed uh, – JB missed a decent amount of time, and then he's been inconsistent this year. I mean, obviously, lately, last game he played good, but there's been games – where JB has kind of been up and down, and I get why he's not an all-star. Also, I'm perfectly okay with him not being an all-star because I think, one, it fuels a fire. But second, it also allows the Celtics to be under the luxury tax, which allows a freeze-up of a $9.5 million exception versus a $4 million exception. Hmm. Jonathan? Um, what was the question again? Sorry. <laughs> uh, do you think Jalen was an all-star snub? Oh, Both yes. Before... The, the injury replacements were named and after the initial injury replacements. Were no, I, I, I do agree with what Squid said that I, I really, I don't, I don't really think he was that snub. I, I think that borderline, he kind of took offense to it. Like he put stuff on his Instagram story about it and stuff like that. But like, I don't know. I mean, the team was, but the team was in the plan for the majority of the season. Jalen Brown also missed um, a couple weeks at the beginning of the season. Don't, don't forget that. Um, and yeah, his numbers are good, but like the top teams are always going to get more people in the all-star game. So yeah, I mean, it would have been nice, I guess we could have made it, but I, I, I think it's honestly better that he's not in it because he's a guy that, that, you know, has dealt with injuries. He's he has arthritis, I think, in in his knee or something like that. Um, so he could definitely do with a week off. I think that's gonna be good. Get somewhere warm. I'm sure he's somewhere tropical now, just relaxing and and uh, no, but I don't think he was a snub. I mean, the Cavs are the the darling of the league, so they probably deserve two All Stars for how they've played so far. Yeah, um, I gotta agree. It's probably for the best that JB didn't make it because. Uh, he's actually played the most minutes in the NBA since coming back from his hamstring yeah. injury, December 13th, which I'm good I, on him playing. So uh, I'm okay with him taking his said tropical vacation uh, in terms of him being a snub. I- I'm with you guys. I don't really think it was a snub either. You can make the case that he should have been named over Jared Allen. Uh, but I think that was a toss up in the statistical department, but you're going to give Jared Allen the nod because he's playing on the team with a better record. And that team is also hosting the all-star game. So I think that was a no brainer to give Jared Allen the last injury replacement spot in terms of the mellow ball DeJounte Murray. Uh, they don't score as much as Jalen, but they've also, like you guys have said, have played through throughout the season more consistently, haven't been injured as much, and they've put up better overall stat lines across the board, averaging far more assists and rebounds than JB. So uh, I think I think the injury replacements were correct, and I'm okay with it because of that. Uh, before we move on to where we think the Celtics are going to finish and give some predictions on that department, 
Uh, I want to get your all-star game weekend predictions, fellas, real quick. So I want to hear who you, which team you think is going to win the all-star game, the team LeBron or team KD, who you like in the three-point contest. Uh, I can rattle out the participants in both that and the dunk contest as well. So, Jonathan, who do you like in uh, the all-star weekend festivities? Yeah, so you're gonna have to um, you're gonna have to rattle out the names for me. I saw a few of them that are in it, but uh, sure. if you could for the three-point shootout, it features Memphis Grizzlies guard Desmond Bain, uh, Luke Kennard of the LA Clippers, the Bulls Zach Levine, CJ McCollum from the now Pelicans, Patty Mills from Brooklyn, Carl Anthony Towns from the Wolves, Fred Van Vliet from Toronto, and Ice Cold Trey Young from Atlanta. Um, I'm just going to go with the pick, the spite pick, which is uh, Desmond Bain is going to shock the world and win just because the Celtics had his pick traded him, decided <laughs> to keep Neesmith, and now a guy that's actually unironically like a absolute dead eye. So such a dead eye that he's in the three-point shooting contest in his second year. Um, and you have the other guy that's shooting 24% from three. Just uh, And he's just going to he's just gonna rub the salt in the wound just a little bit more. I'm sure a certain Twitter account would have fun with that. I think Probably because Danny Ainge is from Oregon. That's why they drafted him. For mind <laughs> <you>. yeah. <laughs> Squid, who do you like in the three-point contest? Uh, I actually love that pick of Devin Bain. I, I'm going to go with Trey Young just because I just feel like Trey Young is just going to do well. I don't know. I feel like he's a hardo, and that's something he'll want to do well in. Uh, Desmond Bain, though, you're right. He's a very good, very good dead-eye shooter. I actually wrote a blog about him before the draft and said this is why I Celtics need to draft him in the 14th pick. So that he's going to be an absolute stud in the NBA, and I just look back on it and wish Danny Ainge wasn't such an idiot. I, yes, I'm going to go biased with the Duke boy, Luke Kennard. He's a sniper. Uh, but, but if I was taking away bias, I actually think Fred Van Fleet. I I don't know. I don't know why. It's just a gut feeling that Van Fleet. He's a first time All Star. He's going to want to put on a show. And I think he's having a really good year and that's why he's an all-star. And he's also putting up some really high percentages. So I think he could have a, could get real hot real quick in this one. So I'll take i I'm going to put my money on Luke Kennard, but I, my gut says Van Fleet will, will show up. I want, I want Luke Kennard coming off the Celtics bench. So bad. I would do anything for that. (laughs) I would as well. (laughs) Slam dunk contest. Uh, I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I think it's going to be a down year for the dunk contest. Uh, You've got Cole Anthony from the Orlando Magic. Juan Toscano Anderson from the Warriors. Jalen Green, the rookie from the Rockets. And Obi Topin, who was in it last year from New York. Uh, Any thoughts on the slam dunk contest, Squid? Jalen Green's electric, and that's the only guy I'm excited to watch. Jonathan? Um, I think Obi Toppin's gonna win. Um, but I mean, I don't know. The dunk contest, it it is what it is. Yeah, I, I I'm thinking Obi Toppin is gonna redeem himself for kind of a disappointing performance last year. But if it, if it's not him, it's got it's gonna be Jalen Green. I don't I don't think Cole Anthony or Toscano Anderson have uh, much of a shot here in this one. Uh, hopefully, it'll be those two will make it entertaining. Uh, otherwise, it'll probably be another disappointing one. And uh, real quick, thoughts on the All-Star game. Who you guys got? Team LeBron, t- Team KD? Uh, I got Team LeBron. I'll, uh, I'll take Team KD. 
<laughs> this man calls Katie a weirdo and then picks him. <laughs> uh, I, I got Team Katie LeBron. Kind of a weirdo. Yeah, uh, I got Team LeBron as well, just because he's four and zero as a captain in the All Star game, and uh, Katie's not even playing in the game. They so. also have objectively a better team. Yeah, they're gonna oh. shock. They're gonna shock the world. All right, all right. Uh, that's that's worth a burrito bet. Uh, but so that's the All Star Game weekend. Hopefully, the festivities will be worth it. I know they revamped the skills competition. They're making it like a sort of in sort of an individual competition. They're making it sort of like a team based thing. So they're letting the onto temp uh, the the onto temp Kupo brothers uh, play together on a skills competition team. So. That might be interesting, but let's wrap up with our final thoughts on the Celtics. I want some predictions. Where will the Celtics finish in the Eastern conference? How far can this team go in the playoffs? Now that we are at the all-star break, 20 games left in the season or 22 games left in the season. Rather, where are our Celtics going squid? Get me going. Yeah. Um, my over under for them, I took them at the start of the year was uh 46 and a half. So I am, or I actually started 45 and a half. So they need to win 46 games, which we we're about right out of trajectory. So I'm super nervous. Uh, but I would say looking at these standings, I actually think Philly's gonna have some struggles here as well as Cleveland. I actually think they're gonna finish the four seed. I know it's optimistic, but we're only two games back of Cleveland. I just think Cleveland's gonna. You know, reach waters and reach his level a little bit, and Philadelphia is going to have some early learning struggles with Harden. Um, and I think we're actually going to end up in a four-five first-round matchup against Philly. Okay. And how far do you think they'll go? How what, I know Jonathan was talking ceilings and and whatnot or earlier and floors and whatnot, but what what do you what do you think their floor and ceiling should be in a in the postseason? Yeah, I think their floor is six seed and losing the first round, and their ceiling is. I don't know. Um, oh, that's such a tough answer because <laughs> if we run into Brooklyn and Brooklyn's all firing all cylinders, I think we'll probably get, I don't know about destroyed this year, but I think we'll lose. Um, but if Brooklyn's not firing all cylinders in Milwaukee's without Brooke Lopez, who's saying we can't get to the finals? I don't know. Is it that crazy with how, if neither of these teams are firing all cylinders, if we catch a break or something that we could be in the finals? I don't know. It really depends on the matchups because one side of things, if we're the six seed and Cleveland's a three seed, we have Cleveland round one, and then we're the, we play the winner of uh, two, seven, which would be Chicago, Toronto, we'd have Cleveland and Chicago. So we could be in the conference finals just like that, playing a banged up Milwaukee or Brooklyn. So who knows? I guess we could end up in the finals. I don't think they can win the finals, but I think there's a chance they could end up there. I don't know. I think crazy things happen. I'm not saying they're going to be in the finals by no means. I don't think they will be. I think they'll make the second round and maybe put up a competitive series, maybe surprises in the conference finals. That's probably the realistic ceiling. I think maximizing it is going to the finals and losing five to, sorry, four to two or four to one against the Suns or Warriors. Mm. Okay. I like that. I, I definitely think if, if things kind of bounce out their way, sort of like with the Suns last year, with their playoff run to the finals, they got injury help at each round, at each step of the way where AD getting hurt for the Lakers round one. Uh, no, uh, no Jamal Murray in round two for the Nuggets and no Kawhi Leonard in round three uh, for the Clippers there. So like, I mean, there was just, 
there was there, you could get something like that. It's definitely possible. We saw it last year. Jonathan, where what are your thoughts? What are your predictions on where the Celtics are going to finish in the standings and where they could end up in the playoffs? Yeah, so I, I actually agree with Squid where I think they're going to end up. I, I do also think they're going to end up as the four seed. There are three teams in the Eastern Conference that I would pick over the Celtics in a seven-game series, and those are the Milwaukee Bucks, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the Brooklyn Nets. Hopefully, by these standings, I think Chicago and Cleveland are both going to fall off. So one of them, I believe, is going to be the five, hopefully. Hopefully, it's Cleveland. And you have that 4-5 matchup where the Celtics, I believe, will be favored. You pray to God that Miami stays as the one seed, um, as they are right now. And then you would have Miami in the second round and just leave Philly, Brooklyn. Philly and Milwaukee, I think, will finish ahead of the Celtics. Um, I'm not sure exactly what what seeding they'll be. And then I think Miami will also finish ahead of the Celtics. Brooklyn, we know when healthy is, as we've said throughout this pod, is better than the Celtics if they can get healthy. Wagon. The only, hopefully, the only thing is, is that they're a six, they're the six or the seven, and the Celtics are the four or the five. So then they can't play each other until the conference finals at, at max. That's, that would be the only time they can even play in the whole playoffs. Um, and then so long as Miami keeps the one seed, I, I, even though the Celtics would be on the road for that series, I, I don't know. Miami's okay, but they're like, would anyone pick Miami over, over Milwaukee or Brooklyn or even no. Philly? Like, no. no. And that's the exciting part because you get like, I think we're right, No one's picked Miami. And if anyone's going to be Brooklyn, it's going to be like the Nets again. I mean, the, uh, it's going to be like a box again or something. And the Celtics could beat the Bucks. I don't think the Celtics could beat the Nets, but there's other teams that could beat, beat the Nets, like the Sixers or the Bucks. And I think the Celtics could beat the Sixers or the Bucks if things went their way. I do not think they could beat the Nets. You kind of agree with that? I think they might have some success against the Sixers. I don't know if they can beat the Bucks, especially the Bucks if they don't have home court. If they don't have home court, I know, but I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, whoever would have home court, I guess you could say in, in the series against Philly or Milwaukee, I would pick that team. Um, and I'm just saying that I think both of them are going to finish ahead of the Celtics. That's why I would pick those teams over the Celtics in a, in a seven game series, yeah. but the Celtics ceiling, I think is, is as high as whatever round they run into Milwaukee, Philly, or Brooklyn, they'll lose that. So if, if you're telling me that they're, as I said, that they're the four or five and Miami's the one, then it's Eastern Conference Finals. If they're the three and Brooklyn's the six, it's probably the first round. Yeah. That's, that would suck. And honestly, like, I mean, hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully they can make a run to the Conference Finals so we can pad the Jays' early career stats. But um, honestly, I, I, I still take the Celtics in a, in a series over the Sixers just because the Sixers constantly prove they choke. And I think the Celtics just constantly have their number with Embiid. Uh, I don't know. The Bucs, I, I hear they might not get Brooke Lopez back. Is that good for them? No, they don't really have much. I don't know. Who knows? The only team I'm truly terrified of is the Brooklyn Nets. That's just maybe just a biased opinion, but I'm very terrified of the Nets if they're healthy. Yeah, I'm – I'm definitely most concerned about the Brooklyn Nets, just like you guys are. I definitely think Milwaukee presents a challenge that 
it would not be easy. I think they would definitely need home court to win that series. Philly, I, I think you have to wait and see what what the Harden and B dynamic looks like before you really make any conclusions. You can you can assume like we've already talked about that it's just going to be a giant clunker of a game, free throws galore, and the game's going to be insufferable to watch. But until you see how like effective it is, you can't really gauge on what kind of team that is uh, going to be come the postseason. Uh, so and you've never seen Harden in the postseason. Good. Yeah. You've never seen so, him play well in the postseason. So I'm definitely interested to see how Philly plays once they get Harden back with a healthy Embiid on the floor with him at the same time. Uh, that being said, just from the Celtics perspective, given their recent moves, the fact that they actually have the best record in the Eastern Conference versus teams with 500 record or be- or better, the fact that they continue to have Robert Williams develop and grow into what some people are calling a, a, a pseudo third star for the, the Celtics. I mean, he's fourth in the NBA in blocks. He's 14th in rebounds and uh, fingers crossed here, knock on wood. He's having the healthiest season of his career to date, which honestly, it's not really saying much. That's how bad his, his injury concerns have been. And the fact that we're seeing less reliance on that ISO ball on offense of late, although, as we mentioned, it still rears its head at times in late game situations. I'm going to go on a limit and say the Celtics have finally convinced me they are not dead for this year and they can actually make a run to the finals. I do think it is contingent upon, like you guys said, the opponents lining up preferentially for the Celtics. If they run into Brooklyn or in Milwaukee early on, I think that could be the end of the line and you could see them out in round one or round two. But if they, if the, the bracket shapes up nicely, then yeah, I definitely think they can get back to the Eastern conference finals. And I think they'd have a shot at pulling it off. I think, I don't think there'll be a, a top four though. I don't think they're going to have home court at all uh, unless they play a lower seeded team in the later rounds. I think that looking at the remaining strength of schedules, Milwaukee and Chicago are really tough. So I could totally see Chicago dropping off a little bit. Uh, but the, the Celtics and Sixers and Brooklyn are all have strength of schedules in the top half of the league as well. Philly is 10th the rest of the way. Boston's 11th. Brooklyn is 14th. Miami's sitting there at 16th. So there's not a, a ton of, of difference. The only one that that's at the top that has a fairly easy schedule down the stretch. It's Cleveland. So while it would make sense for Cleveland to kind of finally come back down to earth a little bit, their schedule is actually fairly easy. So it should provide them a floor that they're not going to drop off from. Like, I don't think they're going to really fall uh, from where they're at, to be honest with you guys. So I think looking at where things are, I think, (sighs) It's tough for me to say. I I think I would have to put Miami will hold the top spot just because their schedule is significantly easier than pretty much the rest of the top four, top five. Uh, I think Milwaukee will will start to ramp things up here. They're going to make a push for that one seed, but they'll end up two. I'm still not counting out Chicago. I've been on them for since day one. I think they'll, they'll still finish three. And I think Cleveland will maintain the four spot. So Boston will probably be five. I think Boston will jump Philly, but I don't think they'll, they'll be able to really, they might be able to crack Cleveland, 
But I, I don't think with Cleveland's remaining schedule, they're going to be able to do that. So I see them finishing fifth. I, I, I think if the Celtics are fully healthy, they really have a shot at this. But the, the stretch run is going to be crucial. They play 13 of their final 22 against teams with above 500 records, which means having that record that I mentioned where they the best in the Eastern Conference against such teams, hopefully that'll hold true. Because if it doesn't, they we might see them come back down to earth and have that mediocre record all over again. Uh, they also, uh, of those tw- uh, 13 games against really good teams, seven of them are on the road. So it's a pretty much an even split there of home and away. Same thing in general down the stretch. Of the final 22, 12 of them on the road. So that's fairly even, but there are a couple more road games and home games, and the Celtics have a below 500 record on the road. Just something to keep keep tabs on down the stretch. Uh, so final thoughts here, I would say the Celtics have definitely given me a lot of hope here, and if they could stay healthy and keep playing the way they've played over the past couple of weeks, I definitely think they could start to inch their way up further up the standings, potentially get home court, and if the bracket shapes out correctly, then you could definitely see them making a deep playoff run. Dude, and can I make a final point to you about what you just added? Yes. If you if you play Brooklyn, you want to be the away team. You do. Because sorry, actually just said you want yeah, because you, you want the more yeah. you're in Brooklyn, less Kyrie plays. That's awesome. Cool stuff right there. Can I, I just now because next podcast that we do, I'm assuming we'll probably be in the playoffs, but when you hear me say this, Milwaukee, the Milwaukee, but they won the championship last year. Milwaukee Bucks are going to simmer out. I do not think they're going to have a hot streak. I actually think they're going to exit very early because of their roster. I don't think it's right. Jonathan, I go ahead. just want to say that I um, disagree with that. You want Brooklyn, um, you want Brooklyn to be the uh, home team for four out of the out of the seven because I do think that one. I agree that they don't have like real fans, but two, I think that come April and then especially late May, um, I think that the way the cases are trending and the way the restrictions are being lifted, I think you could see the uh, vax or play get lifted in New York City by by the end of the the spring. Yeah, possibly, and that would be that would obviously change things a lot. So, I mean. Let's hope the Nets get eliminated and we don't run into them. <laughs> yeah, let's hope they. Let's just hope they. Uh, they're like the the nine seed or the ten seed. They just lose in the first playing game and they're just out. Or Katie just never comes back this year. That's fine. Katie, just take a break. <laughs> yeah, All right, Tyree. He could. Tyree needs to go meditate for the whole month of April. I'm sure he will. <laughs> All right. I think, I, I think that's going to do it here for this edition of Fixing the Talk Sports. Uh, as always, thanks to Jonathan and Squid for hopping on. Uh, we'll see where we, we come back to this, and we'll bookmark it right here. But for now, we'll see you next time.